Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Let's pray and then uh, let's look at our text today, okay? Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon text today is two verses at the end of chapter 6 of Romans. Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you see it begins with but now. Well, the minute you read but now, you're thinking what before. So now is a word that has to do with uh, time. Now! And so if it's but now, you should think, what then? Right? But now, well, what then? And here's the what then. Right before are two verses, and these two verses are verses 20 and 21, and they say, for when. So now you know what's the opposite of but now. For when, now let's look at the for when, for when you were, past tense, you were slaves of sin. And then he says, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now that's weird. You know, it's a construction you would never expect anybody to say. Back then, you were free in regard to righteousness. You're thinking, dude, I don't want to be free in regard to righteousness. You know, because being free in regard to righteousness is that you don't have any. And you're thinking, why would I want to not have any righteousness, right? But back then... You were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. And therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Now, this is weird. Admit it's weird. Look at it. It's weird. You always have to understand that God's thoughts are different than mine and yours. And so always look for the punchline of Scripture. All right? And you're going, wait a second. It just doesn't make any sense that he's saying free in regard to righteousness. He should say free in regard to sin. Well, he's going to. We haven't gotten there yet. All right? And then he says, what benefit? And that word benefit is actually the word fruit. I don't like translators messing with the text of Scripture. It's a Greek word, and it means fruit. And so what it literally says is, what fruit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? The problem with translating it benefit is that benefits are always good. Whereas sometimes there's bad fruit. Right? It can be fruit. It can be bad. Right? You feel the avocados, right? I remember Mary Lee's mother often in the fall would be outside the windows of the kitchen. They had this old ratty apple tree. And she would be out there, and I wish it was picking trees off, or apples off the tree. 
They didn't spray the tree. And I don't care how cosmic earth, yin-yang, back to nature you are, if you don't spray your trees, you're not going to get apples without worms. And so all these apples were on the driveway and on the gravel, and she was out there picking them up. And it just always grossed me out because I knew that I would be soon eating the applesauce that came from the worms. (laughs) Right? There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. When they translate it, benefit. They're making a decision for you that's not clear from the text of Scripture. What it actually says is, therefore, what fruit were you then deriving? What fruit were you getting from the things of which you're now ashamed? And so you're put in play. Do you feel this? What fruit were you getting from the things you're ashamed of? Uh, Shame, fruit, bad fruit. You know, not benefit. Benefit is is positive. Well, I wasn't getting any benefit. I mean, come on. We don't need to stupefy the Bible in order to read it. Let's let God's Spirit inspire Scripture in such a way that we're put in play and we have to think. Don't take the ambiguity out of Scripture. Does this make sense to you? And so the word fruit, the minute you hit it, you should think, well, everywhere in Scripture, fruit is good. The Apostle Paul always uses fruit in a positive way. And this is what commentators will do. And then they'll say to you, okay, Paul always, in every case in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses that word that means positive. It's positive word. And then they'll begin to argue about whether it has to be positive because he always uses it positive. But you know how you read. And the way you read is, When you read the word fruit, you're thinking generally positive. Your your general predisposition, your your posture towards fruit is good, right? What fruit were you deriving, right, (coughs) from the things of which you are now ashamed? Well, the Apostle Paul always uses fruit in a positive way. (laughs) And so you have this, okay, juxtaposition of a generally positive word, right? But it's connected to things you're ashamed with. And then you realize that you were Satan's, uh, what's the word, Uh, stupid, yeah, patsy. You're Satan's patsy because he promised you that there would be good things that came from your sin. But now you're ashamed of it. And so, and so you realize, oh, okay. <laughs> it's another snookered thing. It's another case where Satan promises something and doesn't deliver And you begin to realize that you have to keep your eye on the ball when it comes to freedom and bondage. You have to keep your eye on the ball when it comes to righteousness and sin. Because you realize that again and again and again, you think when you sin that you have freedom. But then you look at the fruit of that sin, and it's always shame. And if it isn't shame, it's because you're still convinced you had freedom when you sinned. And then you realize, ha, 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 I better keep my eye on the ball on this whole thing. 
because deception is at the center of the life of the soul. And nothing is the way it looks. And particularly nothing is the way it looks until after you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then you begin to have restored to you what? Well, notice he says here, the things which you are now ashamed. Present tense, shame. And if you've seen this, if you're a Christian, you've seen that many, many things that you felt were your decision, your choice, that you gave consent to prior to coming to faith in Christ. And now, in Christ, you look back at him. And what do you do? You go, ugh. You have these sort of... uh, um, impulsive grunts as you remember your shame of sin. And that's what it does for you to be a Christian, is you have restored to you an accurate assessment of your actions such that you have restored to you the gift of shame. Now, let me keep going. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Now, that doesn't make any sense. You do not expect somebody to speak of freedom and then immediately say enslaved. Because it's a basic premise, the way we think is, you can't be enslaved and be free. And really, when it comes down to it, nobody today is preaching the gospel in such a way that it calls you to become enslaved to God. The way the gospel is preached today is that people call you to have Jesus as your best friend. Or to have him as your lighthouse, or to have him as your guide, or to have him as your savior. But not master, because master's close to slavery. And the gospel isn't preached as a bondage of freedom. But you see from the text, that's precisely what it is. Christian faith is restoring freedom to men who had none before. Now, I want you to think about this because it's very important. The Apostle Paul has been going on and on and on and on and on on this theme. And here again we hit it. You see that the word but is the pivot. And he keeps telling us, before Christ, no freedom but bondage to sin. After Christ, true freedom and bondage to God. So, no freedom, nowhere, no how, never. And then death and then judgment. Freedom, eternal life, and bondage to God. And what we really want the Apostle Paul to do is to say no freedom, bondage to to sin, death, hell, and judgment, and freedom in Christ, choice, 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 choice. Because we're American. Or even if we're not, we're Westerners. Or even if we're not, we're Asian. Whoever we are today, we believe that the essence of freedom is choice. And that someone who has no choice has no freedom. 
And so all you have to do is tell people they have a choice and they feel free. Okay? But what the Apostle Paul does is he says, but now having been freed, freed from sin and enslaved to God. What you want him to say is, but now having been freed from sin and having chosen Jesus. Right? I mean, come on. You know, have a little introspection. A little introspection is essential for the Christian life. <laughs> that, that means look inside your heart and your mind. And what we all want is to choose God. Because if we choose God, then we have some control. And so everything is a function of choice in the Western world today. And the more choices we're given, the freer we feel. Okay? Okay? Are you all with me on this? I think it was about 20 years ago I realized that choice is one of the main idols of the Western world. It's a God that you'll do anything in sacrifice to. And what really hit it home for me was an old commercial. And the commercial said, AT&T, the right choice. And I thought, really? That's what choice has been relegated to? Is like, you got Verizon, and you got AT&T. And AT&T is the right choice. And you know, of course, the word right does not belong in the sentence. You know, Verizon and AT&T, I've had them both. Twice I've had them both. And, I mean, I don't want to hurt John's feelings, but, you know, Verizon and AT&T are, you know, it's like the difference between the Republican and Democratic Party. You know, they both keep you placated and sort of, you know, kind of feeling that you have a choice. But, I mean, how many of us really feel when we go to the ballot box? I mean, you got Donald Trump on one hand, and you got Hillary Clinton on the other. <laughs> and how many of us were just happy? Nobody was happy. I mean, I get, it was a choice, and I did make that choice. I went, I went what is it, into that dark night? <laughs> you know. <laughs> what is the quote? Yeah, I did not go gently into that dark night. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. Rage, rage. All right. Um, <laughs> but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. You get your fruit. Okay, so we have fruit given to us again, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Now, who's free? The one that's free is the one who becomes more holy and is given eternal life. Okay? I mean, that's the most obvious thing in the world. Holiness, 
the ability to stop being a slave to your moods, your bad moods, all right? The ability to say no to the cookies, no to the video game, and the ability to say yes to holiness. The ability to say yes to marriage to a scary woman and then bear her children and then the scariness of having eight of them. It's pretty intense. And if you were to ask a man who, as an act of Christian faith, decided that he would stop loving other men and love a woman. (laughs) I'm just giving expression to how men feel about choosing to love a woman. It's very scary. Men, you, you, you want to put up your hands. And then you make a decision to have children and to bear fruit and then the children keep coming, and then you need more money, and then you have to work harder, and then the boss threatens to fire you, and then the business plan doesn't work. And, and what you see is that normally the world would see this as a bondage that is a result of your stupid religion, which is putting you into slavery and browbeating you, and it's a cult. Because people who are not in a cult love other men, don't have children, and if they do, they they get divorced and leave them behind, and then they go out on yatchets, and they wear gold chains. You know what I'm saying? And that is what? Come on, say it. It's freedom. It's freedom. You're not tied down to one woman, you know. You're not tied down to eight children, you know. You're not tied down to a job that pays for that one woman and those eight children, you know. And you're free to to give in to your lusts anytime you want. And so you give in to them all the time. It takes a few years, but they finally solve AIDS. And it was scary. But, you know, looking back on it, I think it made us more of a community and gave us more acceptance in the United States. Right? And and then it comes to old age, and you off yourself. You kill yourself. You know, you say, you know, when when I am not able to control myself, (laughs) you hear me, uh, off me, take away the feeding tube, don't, don't give me water, don't hydrate me, because I'm a burden and I want to leave. And so what you see is that the world has everything set up in such a way that freedom is defined as what? As autonomy. As lack of commitment. As lack of responsibility. As consensual as choice. But let me ask you, that guy sitting in the basement playing video games and looking at pornography and loving himself, Is he free? And here's a way of looking at it. The next year, after he's done it for a year, the next year, is he freer? And the year after that, is he more free yet? I mean, you might want to argue that he's free when he first starts living that lifestyle. Okay? But as you watch him... It's so clear to everybody he's in complete bondage. 
And the ironic thing is the very people who would define freedom as having the choice of sin would look at that man and be disgusted with him. And yet, all he's doing is showing the fruit of all the choices that they voted for in the ballot box, that they got the Supreme Court to expand. (laughs) You see? Here's the deal, people. In the Western world, we have been convinced that if the government makes us able to sin, that that expands our freedom. Okay? But it's a shell game. Because the government expands the freedom of pornography, the freedom of abortion, the freedom of sexual perversion. It's expanding. And, and, and the Supreme Court does it, and that gives us plausible deniability. We can just sort of wink at it because, after all, we didn't vote for it. That's the nice thing about the Supreme Court legislating. You know, it, it just gives everybody freedom because it's just you can hate them. But you're actually kind of happy that you have pornography. But if it was in the ballot box, your shame would have kept you from voting for it. But it's so nice when the Supreme Court takes these decisions out of our hands, you know. And so the Supreme Court keeps expanding our freedom, right? That's what they say they're doing. And then we vote for the party that will defend the freedoms that the Supreme Court has expanded for us. Are you all with me? Okay. You see this, it's all a project of freedom. The government gives you freedom to do whatever you want. Are you all with me? Now watch this. You know I'm going to start walking to the right. You're left. I'm smart to realize that you're left. Okay, here I go. Remember, the government gave you freedom. And here's your freedom. You ready? Your freedom is you can't leave the hospital unless they approve of the car seat. It's your wife. It's your wife's baby. You can't leave the hospital. Blows my mind. And you say, oh, that's a good law. And I say, well, okay, okay, fine. That's a good law, right? Because they told you it's a good law and it saves lives, right? Okay, great. So you're happy to not be able to leave the hospital with your child. Okay, all right, okay. Now I'm coming back here. They've given you freedom, right? They are expanding your freedoms. The the Supreme Court is is just all over the place, expanding your freedoms, and the government is militant to protect it, and the, and, the, and, and, and the political party tells you they won't let anybody take away your freedoms. All right, okay, here you are. Okay. And your freedom is that a law enforcement officer stands at the stop sign just north of Starbucks, on Indiana Avenue, right up from Sample Gates, on the grass next to the stop sign, and he looks in your car to see if you have your safety belt on. Does that look like freedom? Now listen, you say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's a good law. Okay. 
that's a good law, okay? Because it helps people not die. Aren't you in favor of people not dying? Oh, yeah, I'm in favor of people not dying. Okay. Thank goodness we have the Supreme Court and we have political parties that defend our freedoms, and thank goodness not everybody in this country is in bondage to Jesus Christ and to some church that tells them what they should and shouldn't do. Now I'm on this side. You, you have the freedom to kill your unborn child. Freedom of choice. Okay, y'all with me? Okay. All right, I'm moving. You hook up with a man. You were drunk. You get pregnant. And you go to the man and you say, I'm pregnant. And thank goodness you have the freedom to make a choice. And it never occurred to you before this moment that if you don't want to have an abortion, that man can shove your freedom in your nose in such a way that you have to kill the baby in your womb. Do you understand what I'm saying? You having the freedom of choice at that moment is a terrible bondage. Do you understand me? Because how are you going to explain when your whole life you've been told that women have the freedom to choose, that all of a sudden at that moment, that freedom is a bondage? How are you going to explain that to that man? You were drunk. Hey, when I signed up for this, I was drunk too. Do it. And if you want to see them doing it, go down to Planned Parenthood and watch them walking in and out. Trust me. If you look at the faces of the people there, there ain't no freedom of choice. There's the mother, and she has her fingers in a steel grip on the, on the elbow of her daughter. That daughter's not making a free choice. Her mother made it for her. What's my point? My point is not abortion. My point is that Satan is always going to convince you that sin is freedom. And that righteousness is slavery. Okay? And you all see that in the text. It's what it says. It says the freedom of righteousness, the freedom of having fruit that, that sanctifies you and then leads to eternal life. Nobody can argue that righteousness in Scripture is freedom. Nobody can argue that sin is slavery. So you're all with me. And so far, that's a very safe thing to say as a preacher on Sunday morning. What I want you to understand is that all across the Western world, the government, the politicians, the elite, the education system, everybody is telling you that you have your freedom from the government. And that the government is the one that has placed choices before you and that the project of religion is to rob you of your choices. And I want you to see that that is a lie from hell. 
The real cult today is government, which keeps you addicted to pornography, which keeps you killing the babies in your womb. Think. It's not freedom for a woman to sacrifice her unborn child. It's not freedom. There's nothing that strikes more at the essence of womanhood than to kill what's in her womb. And my point is not abortion. My point is for you to understand that everything the government says it's giving you, it lies. Because you, day after day, year after year, get into more bondage to the government. Their laws get more picayune, they encroach upon more parts of your life, and you think you have freedom. And you don't. The freedom, the only freedom that comes in this world is the freedom that comes from the Spirit of God. When God yanks you out of your bondage to sin, sets your feet up on a high place, and gives you a choice about sin. Until you have a choice not to sin that is given you by the Spirit of God, the only condition of everyone who is outside of Jesus Christ is slavery. That's it. That's, that's it. You know, you can, you can play games. You can say, well, yeah, but it's not a slavery based on skin color. Oh, knock yourself out. And you say, are you saying slavery is okay? I said, no. I said, knock yourself out. Once you've gotten done dealing with the slavery that comes as a function of your skin color, then try to deal with the slavery that comes as a function of your sexual perversion. You have any idea what the bondage is of male homosexuals? Have you have any idea what the bondage is of female homosexuals? Have you ever studied it? Do you know them? What's the bondage of the woman that kills her unborn child? What's the bondage of the man that steals? You read this morning about this guy that was running, what was it, the, the, the retirement fund for Westinghouse or something, stole $100 million over the last 20 years or something. Is that man free? Have any of you ever embezzled? I mean, don't put your hands up. But, you know, some of you have embezzled. And you told yourself you'd pay it back as soon as you could, right? And guess what? There was no could. It never showed up. Have any of you lied? Now you can raise your hand. You know what happens when you lie. You then have to lie to cover your lie. Is that freedom? When you first decided to lie, were you taking a step towards choice and therefore you were free? No. No. Sin is always illogical, irrational. Because sin always reduces you to servitude. And the government will always tell you that that's your freedom. And then you will vote for the next politician who is lying to you, whether he knows it or not. It doesn't really matter. Politicians have to lie. Because politicians have to sell you on the fact that it's because of your government and then because of the Constitution and then because of the Founding Fathers. They are giving you freedom. Do you see this? And right now, 
you are precisely, precisely where the Jews were at the time of Jesus. Listen carefully to this. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord, he was reading from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed, what? Free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this was a theme with Jesus. Again and again and again, Jesus spoke on freedom. What freedom was he talking about? The Jews were furious because he wasn't talking about freedom from the oppressor, the Roman oppressor. So what freedom was Jesus talking about? A little later, Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you're an American. You have your ancestors buried in Gettysburg. They fought in the Civil War. You bought all the social justice baloney. And you only have the ability of thinking in lockstep with all the other people of the United States. And so you hear this and you say, Jesus is just talking in a different way about freedom. And listen, the next verses, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The next verses are these, the very next verses. They, and this would be the Jews, they answered him, what? We, we are, we are. We hold a United States passport. Nobody's ever put us in bondage. Well, that's not what they said because the U.S. didn't exist yet. What they said, though, was very close to it. They said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, you might think that that was a simple historical statement, but you'd be pretty dumb to say that because how many years were they down in Egypt? And you remember how they weren't given straw? They were slaves. Why did they say we've never been the slaves of anyone? Why did they say that? They said that because they were proud. They said that because they were convinced that lineal descent, blood descent from Father Abraham, made them the people of God, and they were free. And here this man is saying that he came to set them free. And you know something, people? They had no desire to be free. What they had a desire was to continue the lineage from Abraham. They had a desire to circumcise their children and to spit when they pronounced the word uncircumcised. Do you see this? They're just like Americans, just like North Americans, just like citizens of the United States. We're so cocky. We're so proud of all the freedoms that we have as a country. You say freedom, and boy, we just, our chest swells. We're absolutely convinced that 
you know, we're the best nation in the world. Why? Well, because we're free. And then he sits at the stop sign on Indiana Avenue and looks at your seatbelt in your lap. And you can't take your baby home. But you can have an abortion. And this is, this is, this is, this is the freedom. Do you understand this, people? And what the Bible says is what? You know, as I was working on this, I remember Janis Joplin. Remember the song, Me and Bobby McGee? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing don't mean nothing, hon, if it ain't free. No, no. And remember what she says next. Anybody know? Feeling good was easy. Lord, when he sang the blues, you know, feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and my Bobby McGay. And listen, people, that is all the freedom that you ever get from the United States government. It's all the freedom that you ever get from your governor, you know, passing laws against hate crimes. Oh, yeah, see our freedoms expanding. Well, will that sufficiently mollify all the people who are crying for Indiana to be on a list that doesn't have a hate crime bill, you know? And it's just so pathetic. We just want Tim Cook to approve of us so badly, but he can't even make a keyboard. Well, if you don't know, read. I returned a laptop this week. How many years now, Lucas? Yeah. Three or four years. And we want his approval for how we live our lives and how we speak and what sins we preach. Our bondage, our bondage. And since when is Tim Cook in a position to tell us what sins are bondage or not? And if I were to ask you what sins are bondage, you could list a whole bunch of them that you're now ashamed of. Come on. Janis Joplin was right. Feeling good was plenty, plenty good enough for her. She had her freedom, and she died. She sure sang while she lived. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, your fruit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the summary of this pivot, okay? The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Any government, any teacher, any professor, any father, any mother that gives you the freedom to sin, okay, is giving you death. That's death, okay? 
But those who call you to Jesus Christ are holding before you not just life, but eternal life, okay? Eternal life. Eternal life. Would you notice in that verse that it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. So, so sin has wages and they're death. Whereas righteousness and eternal life are a gift. Now, the word free is in there. And listen, again, there's no word free in the Greek. A gift is generally free, but they wanted to dolly it up, you know, gild the lily. And so they, they said, you know, it's like the crescendos at the end of every Christian, contemporary Christian song. You know, it's like the trumpet's blaring, the, the woman is, is shrieking, you know. Not you, Don, but other sopranos. <laughs> It doesn't say free. It says gift. The, the Greek word is charisma. And a gift is free. Now, I have one other point I want to make really badly, okay? Ask yourself the question. If you are sitting in between the wages of death and the free gift of eternal life, which do you choose? The wages of death Sin and death, the free gift of God that's eternal life. Which do you choose? Now, it seems obvious, right? This is a choice that has no choice because everybody would, would choose the free gift of God and would choose eternal life, right? But you know something? I have an advantage. You know what my advantage is? My advantage is I, I done been a member of the National Brotherhood of Railway and Traffic Car Workers, the Railroad Union. And I want you to know that no union member, no brother, has ever, ever wanted a gift. (laughs) You have management come into the negotiation meeting and they say, we'll give you a gift. You better just take a vacation for a couple weeks for them to cool down. Because at the center of every negotiation with union and management is the union telling you that what they're asking for is only what they have every right to ask for. Everything is about rights. Everything is about wages. And listen... That's the way you are. You really don't want to receive a free gift from God. You want to control God. Because gifts are humiliating. Do you understand this? You think that you'd choose the free gift of God, which is eternal life, but the fact is no. Because you have such awful pride that you want to make it out that God owes you every single thing that he gives you. And this is the reason why religions around the world are always about merit. And this is why the majority of the Christian church across 2,000 years has had various forms of selling you merit. And the only thing that changes is what the merit is and how you get it. We do not like God telling us 
that we didn't choose him, but he chose us. We are so determined that we're the ones that control our destiny. And so what we're trying to do, you you know, you don't say this out loud, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to establish that the free gift of God is not a gift, but is actually earned. And then you say, but no, I don't believe in merit. I wouldn't say earned. And so what do you do? Well, you use the only rhetoric that any person in the Western world knows. You use the rhetoric of choice. You say, I chose. That's not merit. That's not a work. But you have to do it. And the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. So you do have to make a choice. I say, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. You do have to make a choice. But your choice itself is a gift. Do you understand this? And you say, well, it can't be a choice if it's a gift. And I say, why not? And you say, well, we all know that choices are things that are made without any outside influence or pressure. And I say, who told you that? And you say, well, it's just common sense. And I say, in other words, you're going to define major things like free will and choice by the rhetoric of political Western philosophies. And you're going to do so even if it's inimical or antithetical to what Scripture defines the language as meaning. And man, we do this all the time. We have such absolute certainty that our brains and our vocabulary and our order and our logic and our reason is above reproach. You know? And then we import all our errors into Scripture and we say God's way is not higher than my way. And as close as Bedford is to Bloomington, so are my thoughts to Scripture's thoughts. And that just leads us down so many bad places because what Scripture says is the Word of God. And either we begin to conform our understandings of words in life by Scripture or life is always going to redefine Scripture according to its perverse will. Do you see this? There is no neutrality between the language of Scripture and the language of the world. Either you decide to live and to think by the language of Scripture, or you will be in lockstep conformity with all the idiots. And you say, well, that's not nice. And I say, well, I'm not being aggressive. But you know, have you ever read Chesterton's essay where he, where he talks about the freedom of fashion? And he talks about what women will dress in and, wh- and how they'll dance. And he's making fun of the fact that those women, when they change their, their, their clothing this year from last year and change the way they dance, that they feel like they're expressing their freedom. But then he points out that absolutely other, every other woman their age in that city has just changed her clothes to exactly the same cut, the same color, the same everything, and is dancing the exact same dance. Come on. Come on. Either God is God and his word is his word. 
and we submit to it. Or it's just, it's nothing but bondage. And I tell you, I can absolutely predict, if you choose that path of the world, I can absolutely predict everything in your life right now. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, <laughs> there ain't no predicting you, honey pie. <laughs> because contrary to Martin Luther King saying that, you know, racial reconciliation, no, no, no. Free at last. You come to the cross of Jesus Christ, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, you're free at last. And that's the reason that I say to people that if you want to see a really odd bird, you meet an old dude who's been a Christian for a long time. In my life, I've never known anybody as odd as Rita Cuffey. Any of you that knew her, you know, you come in her front door and she's got cereal boxes. And they have a dowel going through them at the corner so that they're stacked into space, nothing underneath them. And you just feel sort of uncomfortable looking up at it like, why isn't it falling? Because the dowel's hidden. Everything in Rita's life was like that. And I've never known anybody as godly as Rita Cuffey. The Spirit of God gives you the ability to be the snowflake that God made you. And is the older you get, the more all the latent gifts that society tries to eviscerate from you, that everybody tries to get you to change your, your colors and your clothes, you know, and, and to show your bottom through your shorts and, you know, where... Did you see this last week? I mean, this is a perfect example of the world's freedom, right? This mother goes to Mass up in Notre Dame, right? She's got sons at Notre Dame. So she goes to Mass, and in front of her are women who are naked. Right? Did you read about this? Anybody put up your hand if you read about this. I mean, they weren't naked. They had on, you know, a, that thick, what are they called? Yeah, legging, you know. I think that's nakedness. But anyhow, this poor woman was there, and she's looking around. She's thinking, my poor sons are students here. This is awful. They shouldn't have to see naked women all the time, right? I mean, there's a certain logic to what she said. I don't know about you, but I'm a man. I understand her concern, all right? And so what does she do, that stupid woman? She writes a letter to the editor of the Notre Dame student newspaper. Now, you remember how I say that if you think freedom is sin and sin is freedom, I can predict what you'll do. And before he even read it, I knew what was going to happen. You all know what's going to happen. 1,000 women went naked the next week or the next day. She's not going to tell us we have our freedom. And we have freedom to be shamefully naked. And so what happened was that godly woman said to all the campus, listen, these men who are enticed by your shape are somebody's son, some mother's son. They are some sister's brother. Don't put them through this. She was eminently reasonable. 
and all hell broke loose at Notre Dame. And everybody demonstrated their freedom by putting on tights. And they really didn't have a choice, did they? When you have a thousand college students responding to a godly and loving mother who's pleading with them that way, that's not choice. Whatever else it is, it's not choice. They had to do that. But those sons of that woman, her writing that, can you imagine, the whole time I was reading the story, all I was thinking was, if that had been my mother, <laughs> I think I would have transferred to another college. <laughs> you know, imagine how embarrassed those sons were of their mother, you know. I mean, they knew she was right on some level. the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the final point is that freedom is only in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. And so these are your choices. You can either be viewed as being a stupid a uh, person who goes to church and honors the authority of the elders and pastor and tries to do what's right, and everybody will say that you're just, that you don't have any freedom, that you're just a robot, a religious nut. But you will notice the older you get, the more freedom you have. Because you will be being sanctified, and sanctification always restores freedom to you, and it always makes you day by day weirder and weirder and weirder. Because you finally have the freedom to say no to sin. You don't have to give in to your moods anymore. And then you see the fruit in your children of you having freedom to say no to wanting to play video games. And you see that your children adore you. There's one little boy on the way in. I mean, this kid is a spitting image of his dad. It's just gorgeous. And do you know something? He loves his father. How do you know he loves his father? Well, everything about this little boy is mimicking his dad. Would it be a surprise for for me to tell you that his dad is Jimmy? (laughs) It's just adorable. But Jimmy didn't have to get married. Jimmy didn't have to have children. Jimmy doesn't have to take them out on bike rides. Listen, the government doesn't give you freedom. The government doesn't give you choice. God gives it to you. And he gives it to those who are in Christ. And so flee to Christ and hide in him. And day by day, you will grow in your ability to be free, really free. And that's the sermon. If we can close with a song.